going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Process Potables. This is Dan, joined by Steve, as usual, and we are flaunting our Tobias stock yields today mm-hmm. as two guys that have held fast on their Tobias stocks that are now seeing huge dividends on the return as we are now stock market guys, as pretty much everybody is after this week, everybody flaunting their stocks, buying, selling, yields, dividends, growth collapse for some people not me of course yeah. uh but for our tobias stocks boy the return on investment is just you know you love to see it you, you absolutely love, to, love see to see it uh worlds combined as we are now rich with tobias harris stock and everybody who did not believe in him and believe me everybody knows who all of those people are mm-hmm. it's pretty much everybody but a select few uh, you are out. We are all in. We dominate the market now. We will be doing all of our short trades and uh, sh- uh, I, I ran yeah. out of terminology. I'm not yeah. actually a stock market guy at all, or, but I'm just going to hammer it. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh. We're rich, baby. We're rich. And, hey, we we don't you know only need the receipts, but that will be reflected in your portfolio whether you bought into him or not. Correct. And... I think that is the very last of the terminology. Yeah, I was gonna try and go somewhere with like taxes too, and now it's way over my head. So you yeah. know what? Let's just stick. To, let's stick to sports. Yeah, uh, as, as they say, and 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 in this case, it's actually pretty applicable. So no, we we are gonna move on and get into actual Sixers stuff. So the biggest takeaway for us is is the win over the Lakers from Wednesday, which we're gonna we're gonna talk about heavily here. Man, this is a lot to do. Mess of a soundboard that is, if if that's annoying you now, this whole episode is gonna be really annoying. So maybe just turn it off. Yeah. uh, If 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 you enjoy the bit, then we're here for it. We're we're going mad money on everybody. Mad Sixers money. Mad Tobias money. Ooh, maybe that should actually be the title. Mad Tobias money. Yeah. There you go. Okay. The uh, Broad Street uh, Stock Exchange is looking really good. Ooh, shit. That. See, I never think of these ideas before recording. We were talking about. Something, uh, something big for the uh, the network here beforehand, and I think you might have just you might just hit a nail on something. That might be somewhere to go. I like it. There you go. All right, let's try not to forget. So the Sixers beat the Lakers Wednesday, one hundred seven, one hundred six. Huge game winner from our guy Tobias Harris to end a thirteen zero Lakers run leading up to that. The Sixers dominated this game for the most part. We were all. You know, flaunting and and uh, hooting and hollering on on the timeline, and then all of a sudden, it, it felt like years passed. Where you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh God, it's happening." The collapse is among us. Uh, the team is just not doing enough other than Embiid, really, which has you know been the case for a lot of the season. Embiid really putting the team on his back, and we'll get to him for sure. But fortunately, Tobias Harris comes to the rescue, hits the game winner as as we knew he would, and. Really seemed like that was the apex moment of redemption for Tobias Harris. Everybody had been on the upswing with him, whether you were a believer or a hater, had had been seeing him play well this season, of course. But that was really the moment where you said, "Okay, like he, he really seems like he's come all the way back from from the the, the pit that he was in." Which again, even the the strongest believers such as ourselves we weren't denying that he wasn't playing up to his potential right the yeah. thing is that we acknowledged that he still had the potential and that we believed that he could get back to that I, I shared a screenshot of 
you know, one of our episodes leading up to the start of the season where we talked at length about how we thought that Tobias could break out this season and really get back to form. We were all about the repairing of him and Doc Rivers when that when that decision was made and believed that that could be a huge thing for him. And clearly it has been. And I think, sadly, you have to give Sixers ownership some credit for recognizing because yeah. we were never talking about Doc Rivers as a potential coaching candidate here, obviously because we didn't think he was going to be available, but we were talking about all these other names and how great of a fit they would be. And as soon as Doc Rivers becomes available, like it seemed like super aggressively and quick, the Sixers ownership pounced on that and made that move. And I, I, and I think you have to give them credit for that, whether you want to credit the owners or Alton Brand or whomever, or the combination of both, they went out and did that. And while you can give them, the fair share of grief for the Tobias Harris contract. This was the redemption move to, to save that investment that you made. And so far, you know, like, like we're talking about the, the return on that investment is, is tenfold, if not more. And, and you have to give credit where it's due. Yeah, you have to. And I, I, I still hate uh, the ownership a lot. Of course. So yes. that, that doesn't change anything. No, not but at all. Could you imagine if we would have hired anyone else that we would not have this success. Well, I mean, you don't. It, it'd be really hard. You because, don't know that, but I, I don't. I think it's hard to imagine any coach doing better. I don't think that means another coach couldn't have come in and had. Yeah, success. that's true. But you're right. I mean, to be 14 and six, to have Embiid being like the consensus MVP, to have Tobias Harris in in what appears to be possibly pretty good shape for an all-star game and we'll and we'll get to all those things yeah and i guess stan van gundy or ron jeremy excuse me he probably would have came close to what doc is doing now maybe uh you know maybe but i mean i'm pretty disappointed in that pelicans team if we're being honest they did just upset milwaukee last night and that was a really fun game to watch but they also shot the lights out from three yeah so i you know, flukish maybe. Milwaukee sure tried to come back in that game, which was a really fun one to watch. I was flipping between that and the Sixers, and honestly, I was a little more interested in that Milwaukee uh, oh, yeah. Pelicans game, if I'm being honest. The Pelicans were like my sleeper team for the season, and honestly, I was really hoping Brett Brown might end up there. Obviously, he ended up taking the entire year off, but I thought that he would have been a really good fit for that team. Stan Van Gunny, you know, seems like a decent fit for them, but they're also about to become pretty big sellers. And I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on down there. They've been disappointing no to be honest, yeah. but really fun game last night against Milwaukee, who the Sixers are two games ahead of in the Eastern conference, which is not a sentence I expected to say at any point outside, maybe the first two games of the season. Yeah. I feel like the, we, we, I think we said this on prior pods or it just feels like that's probably what the consensus we're like, you know Sixers are going to start off great, but they'll probably finish third or fourth. But to be, I did not think they would start off great, not at all. Yeah, I will say that. So I definitely didn't say that. Maybe fair you enough. Did. Uh, I did not expect them to start off great. I expected them to to struggle to get the lineup together, and I figured they were going to be probably in the middle to bottom of the Eastern Conference, and but still be a threat in the playoffs. Uh, they are definitely crushing any expectations I had for regular season performance, and especially the first half of the regular season. I will, I will completely admit that I did not see this. But you held on to your Tobias stock, right. so you know yeah, what? Had that, nothing that, to do with Tobias fine. Harris. Had nothing to do with Tobias Harris. But... Sometimes it's okay to be wrong. Well, you know, yeah, sure. So I guess, I guess, I, I, I can call that wrong. I suppose I don't think it's wrong to not have expected oh, no, no, such no, no, a no. thing. Yeah, um, I didn't think they'd be bad at all, but. 
the everyone talks about the the starting lineup and I think when all the starters play they're like 11 and 0 or whatever but the thing I mean I don't I don't put as much stock into something like that as I do kind of specific pairings and lineups and whatnot and Steve if I asked you if you look at lineups that the Sixers have not that plus minus is like the best indicator of anything right. whether it's individuals or whatnot but when you look at a, a pairing I mean I I have a, a a list of pairings up here. If you if you said who does have the best differential on this team, if you had to pick a two man lineup that you would say is is probably the Sixers' best one, what do you think it would be? Hmm, interesting. I'm gonna say it's got to be something like. Would it be like Shake and Embiid? Shake and Embiid is is the eleventh. Oh, and oh. now it's just on plus minus, so it doesn't. Yeah, mean it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a bad lineup, but that's an interesting pick. Embiid and Milton have. Uh, they average ten point six minutes a game together. Yeah, they don't play a lot together. Yeah, but that's why Shake th- has had a, like a lot of big games. I mean, Shake is kind points, of the sixth so just, man, so I, it, yeah, it is tough. But uh, that pairing uh, shoots fifty two percent from the field, forty two percent from three, and their plus minus is, is plus five point six. So certainly not a bad lineup. Okay, but. The uh, the lineup that I think most people were really excited for look looking previewing this team from the offseason is the Seth Curry Joel Embiid right, lineup. Yeah, um, that appears to be a, a very strong pairing. They their plus minus is thirteen point six. Okay. They play twenty eight point five minutes per game together. Obviously, the Sixers just got Seth Curry back, uh, which has been huge for them. They shoot almost fifty five percent from the field, almost forty seven percent from three. And like I said, the plus minus at thirteen point six, so uh, a very strong lineup. And basically, if you look at Embiid, Curry, and Tobias Harris, like that's really like your best three man game because of the pairs. The three of the top four pairs are Embiid and Curry, Harris and Curry, and Harris and Embiid. Wow! So you really have to credit. I mean, it 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 seems simple, but. We spent we spent a lot of time in the offseason talking about uh, you know who's going to be a seventh or eighth man and how uh, are Danny Green and Seth Curry going to fit in here and the the easiest answer to the Sixers' success so far is that Embiid is the MVP. Yep. Tobias Harris is playing at basically that peak Clippers rate that you traded for, and you acquire Seth Curry who is shooting the absolute fucking lights out. And when you have all three of them available and playing at just like right now what their baseline is, they are. They are carrying this team. And the best part about that is I think everybody would agree whether you are, you know, regardless of what side you are on, that Ben Simmons is playing below his his expectations and what he's capable of. Yeah. And that's not the whole, oh, I think he's capable of becoming a perimeter shooter. No. Like what we've seen from him the past two to three years, he's not playing up to that standard. He definitely can. So if you start getting that, is when you really think like, holy shit, like the the sky's the ceiling for this team. And it definitely is right now. I don't think there's any argument about that. So the return on investment for hanging on with Tobias Harris and the acquisition of Seth Curry both, uh, I think are the biggest dividends outside of MB getting his diet and conditioning and workout regime. And hopefully like a 401k, maybe Simmons is just, you know, fluctuating a little bit. Maybe he's just going to have a down year, but then it could bounce right back up at, at the end of the fiscal quarter. All we need is a tulip bulb 
from Ben Simmons at yes. the right time for this team to definitely be ready to win a championship. Another another term that I that I learned this week. Oh, nice. Don't really understand, but I think it's just when you mm-hmm. get a really big spike that you know is going to round out and then crash back down. Uh, why they call it that as opposed to 800 other things that would make a lot more sense. Kind of sounds like a bell curve, but that's really outside the realm of right. business. I think. I th- well, I think the pro- I think the, the bell curve is a little bit more. Uh, Balanced, yeah. I guess, is a way to looks say like, it. It's shaped like a Reese's bell. Oh, now you're gonna have me thinking about Reese's, man. Sorry, but it was funny too because last night uh, Embiid had a quote where he said, "quote He's only fifty uh, percent of where he wants to be physically with the changes he's implemented into his diet, workouts, and everything like that." He said he's continuing to do the right things, but it's going to take time to feel the full effects. So if you Take Embiid at his word, which so far where we were skeptical in the offseason that, you know, we're always skeptical going in. He's like, oh, I'm in great shape. My conditioning is here because we've seen the opposite before. I think you have to give him the benefit of the doubt now that, you know, he kind of is getting the idea of what to do right because his play is speaking for it and what you're, you know, the eye test is telling you it's there. That now you imagine that he's saying, I'm only like halfway to where I want to be with this, even though I'm doing it all right. I mean, it makes sense. Like, yeah. you know, like I know right now you're kind of like in the process of getting back into a, a regime with everything like that. I'm not even in the process of starting, but me and you have both been there several times. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the once you start it, like, you're not going to see the results immediately. You're not going to feel the results of cutting out a bunch of bad shit from your diet, of starting to work out. You're not going to, you know, get to the point where those things are really, uh, you know, providing benefits to you for quite some time. So this is one of those things that I think you can easily say Embiid is still working through, that these games played and the diet regimen are, are all only going to continue to help him more. So whereas you may have previously looked at a, an outburst of his like this and said, well, he can't sustain this. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say not only can he sustain this, but this might not be the best of it. Yeah. And I, I would say, too, a lot of people are quick to say, you know, oh, well, Embiid, he is, you know, he needs to get his act together. He's not in shape, blah, 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 blah. But it, in not just the NBA, but in most sports, it does take most athletes a good amount, you know, a couple of years to really adjust to the, you know, the speed and the strength that's required in the NBA game. I mean, everyone will says, well, then there's LeBron. I'm like, but LeBron, he's he's a genetic freak. And he also, like, he, he still had to adjust for what, oh, he, for yeah, what he was. Absolutely. So even then, you're not wrong. Yeah, and it's, it's very rare we get someone like that or like even someone like a DK Metcalf who's probably just been – you know, so swollen since he's like six, like he's just probably just naturally jacked. You know, like, oh, well, yeah, yeah, like like those are anomalies, and you couple that with his injury history. We we all know how that is. Like, I think where he is at net, at net now is terrific. And if he thinks you know, no, I can get to a higher level, and so be it, man. Let's go. Yeah, and to your point about you know adjusting into the league and everything, like we talk about Joel being twenty six years old or whatever, but he didn't even play the first two seasons. And then when you talk about the mm-hmm. limited games he's had in the other ones, as of now, he actually only has a career two hundred and twenty five games played. That's yeah. less than three seasons. So really, you could look at what he's doing now as like 
I don't know, the, the close to the end of a third season. Yeah, and that's kind of that's where true. you'd expect a pretty big jump from somebody because you talk about a lot of guys make a sophomore jump, but sometimes you have a sophomore slump. Either way, you can see that. Right. So if they don't make the jump in year two, year three is typically where if you're not seeing that leap, you become concerned. Yeah. So not that I think we even expected a, a big leap from Embiid as far as his play, but we got it anyway. I think if you really track his timeline compared to a lot of the other you know top picks and elite prospects, he, he's still right on track. And if he can get, you know, his body to hang on and be in in much better shape than it has been, then it's not it's not crazy to imagine his, you know, years 26 to 30 being a lot more like, you know, a younger players, you know, 23 to 27 when they come in at like 20 because realize, you know, he he came in and and had to sit two years out. Yeah. and, And to your point, too, not only those two years, but he had those seasons where he, you know, the one where he only played 30 games. Yeah, that's so. what I'm saying. And, and for some reason, I don't know why this is something I always remember. You know, I, I am starting to get a little long in the tooth here and gray in the hair. But oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm with but you. going back to the uh, Larry Brown days, one thing I he always said when a player would come back from an injury, there's a, a big difference between just rehabilitating from it and then being in shape, but then being in game, game shape. shape. So, right. I mean, those are – you know, three pretty big differences. And MB probably didn't really get into a real game shape until his first full season. Yeah, and that, I mean, that was the same thing we saw, I think it was last week, when we thought uh, Seth was going to suit up. I think it was that Wednesday game, and all of a oh, sudden yeah. they sat him, and it was basically, yeah, you know, he's been conditioning and getting back in the warehouse, but, you know, we don't think he's ready to go out there and play a game, so we're going to ramp him up a little more. Like, that's something that you're starting to see a lot more of, is that teams aren't putting guys out there and they're really not even – they're basically trying a lot harder to get guys into that game shape before they even get on the court rather than having them go out there and play their way into it, which was definitely the case for you know decades and decades before. It was kind of, all right, well, get your ass out there and you'll figure it out out there. Yeah. Now the the idea is to use you know analytics and training and all this stuff. Which is too. a smart way to – Right, yeah. of, of course. Because yeah, if you did do that, then you did, the chance of re-injury is so much higher. Exactly. Yeah. You're just trying to, to preserve everybody as much as you can and for as long as you can. So all that is well and good. I definitely took us off a path there. I want to get back to the Lakers game a little bit before we start hitting down um, on some other things with the Sixers specifically. But I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if you saw my tweet breaking it down, but talking about that Tobias Harris final possession uh, in the Lakers game. So Doc came out and talked about how they had multiple options on that play. And if you watch the breakdown, I mean, everything he's like, I love hearing him talk about, especially breaking down a specific play because – you know, we were Brett Brown guys, and I, and I don't want to go down that path, but watching yeah. just this play really tells you the jump from a a Brett Brown to a Doc Rivers. And that's not even a knock on Brett, because Doc has been around for so Oh, yeah, for over 20 years, yeah. That I think there was just kind of, you know, Brett was trying to keep a lot of things simple, and I think that also had a lot to do with Embiid and Simmons and them still gearing up, but... Bringing in a guy who is this established, who has learned from so many people and and is an elite coach at this point, watching just the various designs they had for that play, seeing everybody in the exact right position, it just feels like you know, Tobias hits makes a makes a good play and hits a tough shot and all the credit in the world to him. But what's crazy is I really feel like that play could have gone several different ways for the Sixers, and every one of them, I think they win the game. And that's crazy 
to think about. Not only just in the the grand scheme of it all, but also figuring that you're playing the defending champions, the odds on favor to win it again, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, like everything. If you look at that play, they have all these options. If you just watch Tobias on his drive, LeBron helps off Seth Curry. Seth's wide open for three. Yeah. Like they didn't need a three, which is, I guess, one of the reasons LeBron's willing to help off. But at the same time, Seth could have easily gotten a shot that I guarantee he knocks down. Yeah. You had Dennis Schroeder on Ben Simmons, which is an <laughs> enormous mismatch, and Ben's in the dunker spot. So I honestly believe that off the inbound, they probably could have got the ball right to him and gotten him like a baby hook or something, which isn't the best option. Yeah. But if you're going to need Ben Simmons to take a last-minute shot, it's at least a shot that I think he's comfortable taking, and maybe he's not going to make a, a bad four tenths of a second pass out that either fucking ends the game yeah. or makes somebody or he gets fouled and then misses both shots sure like anything <laughs> like that like i think if, if that's what the lakers gave you i think you had the option there you have Embiid on anthony davis which is comical because anthony davis spent the whole game pretending he was mm-hmm. hurt trying to get out of these matchups i pulled this up i i don't i don't actually know how many minutes davis played in that game he had to play his normal minutes so let's say he played 30 34 minutes how many of those minutes do you think he actually was statistically matched up on Embiid? Oh, at maybe one or two. Three and a half. Okay. But still, you would think that this defensive player of the year guy oh yeah. who gets all these comparisons who people would probably say is a better player than Joel Embiid matches up with him for three and a half minutes. Wow. what a, I believe that's what we call a, uh, a coward. Embiid scored seven points in those three and a half minutes. Defensive player of the shot year, my four, ass. Shot, 40, shot two for five against him and also uh, got three free throws against him and went three or three from the line. Yeah. So Maybe it's because uh, I think AD's a little sensitive about his unibrow at times. So, you know, if Embiid was, like, just putting points against him, the, the shit talking that probably would have <laughs> ensued would – and that we could probably have heard in this season. I agree the trash talking was definitely there. I disagree that Anthony Davis is sensitive about the unibrow. Unibrow is a funny joke, but he definitely does yeah. accept it. So I can't I can't give you that one. I'm sorry. Fair enough. But uh, the, I the trash talking, yeah, I, w- I would have loved to hear that. But So you have that matchup, and I think you're fine with that matchup, obviously, too. And you, the Lakers have Mark Gasol. Yeah. Isn't Mark Gasol the guy? Yeah, isn't he the Embiid stopper? Which I he loved, was. Which again, I loved. If you recall from this game early on, one of Embiid's first uh, possessions with the ball, he drives right at Gasol, takes a little like sidestep, gets the baseline jumper at like twelve feet, and just crushes it. And he gives like a fist pump right away. He's like, "Yeah," he's like, "I got yeah. it." Yeah, like, I love that he was one. He was willing to go right at him, knowing this is like the stigma, quote unquote. And I'm fine with him showing the emotion, like yeah, like I got that over him, like I'm like I felt like that was just him saying, yeah, like he's not fucking stopping me today, like like I'm putting this shit to bed right now, like everything about that was so perfect to me, and I feel like a lot of the same, you know, old school idiots that would call on the sports talk radio and complain about him or whatever, yeah. would be the guys who would be, like, you can't you can't show that that you're aware of this, and you can't <laughs> let them know, like no, yeah. fuck that, like Joel Embiid is the the. What's the like the anti antithesis? That's see, I can't pronounce it right. That's the word. To to all of those things, let him talk his shit. Let him show his emotion. Let him be aware of narratives and and you know knock them the fuck away. 
Yeah. I'm all for it. That's and, his, that's his and, thing. And when when he played next to Al Horford last year, he didn't really see that a whole ton. Yeah, and it fucking sucked yeah. for everybody. Ruined everything. Except Al Horford, who got paid way now, too much fucking money. Now, the one, I'm making the same argument as you are, but just using different points. I think it was around the 430, 445 mark in that fourth quarter where the Lakers started going that run. And I was starting to get pissed, but I was also like, okay, what's going to happen from here to the rest of the game? I'm really curious to see how this would compare to a Brett Brown game. And not to harp on Brett, but... What do we always, always say? What does Sixers always Twitter say when we start losing a game at the end? Yeah, he doesn't you know? call the timeout at the right time. Well, that and we never win this game. Oh, like, well, you yeah. know, that's a common, that's become a common thing. And it was just very relieving that Doc called the timeout like at the right time, whereas Brett probably would have waited when it was too late. And it was just man, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm with you here again because th- I mean, a 13-0 runs a lot to come all the way back and lose the lead. Like I'm not giving Doc Rivers credit for this. Like he, he, he got out of this one, and I'll give him credit for that play drop at the end. But dude, I don't know, man. Like to have a 13-0 run to actually lose that lead that late, I, I'm not praising him. Yeah, that's that. why I was mad. But, oh, okay. I'm yeah. not. I wasn't sure if you were giving him credit here. We're saying yeah. that. Like, I mean, he didn't wait till it was too late to call that timeout. Maybe I didn't say that, uh, you know, well he enough. Did but... or he didn't? No, he didn't. He didn't wait till it was too long. No, he, I think because I feel like he blew really? the lead. Well, yeah, get on a thirteen zero run. You have to call that timeout sooner. You can't let it get to the point where they take the lead. So, like, I wasn't going to come in and give Doc shit for any of this, but I'm not going to hear that he managed this better than Brett would. What would Brett have done worse? Give up the lead? Doc fucking did give up the lead. That's true. The only yeah. thing I'm going to give Doc Rivers credit for is I think he drew he drew up a, an out-of-bounds play to win it that I don't think Brett would have. Yeah. Now, could, That's definitely the bigger. Could Brett have drawn up a play? Sure, we've seen him do it before, but I, the design and the intricacy that Doc had on this last possession, I never saw from Brett. So that's where I'm giving him credit. But Fair enough. I want to get back to my point about the, the Lakers' defense against it because I just don't understand how how this is the the, the guys you put out there and, and the matchups that you get. They have a mismatch. And then Alex Caruso's on the floor. I don't <laughs> give a fuck who he's defending. He's on the floor. Why? Yeah, and they loved kept bringing up during the game that isn't he the leader in three point percentage this uh, year? Sure, and it's like this is a defensive possession. Yeah, you telling me Kyle Kuzma's not a better body out there? Don't are are Lakers fans still trying to tell us that Kyle Kuzma's good? Yeah, probably. I'm I'm so confused. So Caruso is the one that actually gets switched to matchup against Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris is going to hit 97 out of 100 shots on Alex Caruso. Yeah. Like it's not it's fucking embarrassing. Like, do you? I don't even know who the player was last night in that Wolves game that Tobias put the little post up and then spun off him and went for that hammer dunk yeah, at the end oh. of the game. But that he could have done that same fucking thing to Alex Caruso. That's oh, the yeah. level of defender that you're putting on arguably the second best player on this team right now. Yeah, it's it's disrespect. Why, like LeBron is on Seth Curry and helping off. Anthony Davis is on Embiid, which fine. He finally took the responsibility. But I think at the same time, you kind of knew they weren't going to Embiid here because there wasn't enough time on the clock because, you know, Embiid kind of needs his time to get the playoffs. So I think, honestly, you could have kind of ruled Embiid out of this one. Yeah. 
And and this is the thing is you put Caruso on Tobias Harris. So what you're saying is that the coaching is what won the Lakers the title last year. <laughs> Absolutely no. Was it Frank Vogel? Yeah, Vogel. Yeah, Vogel uh, fucking sucks, man. Yeah. Like get the fuck out of here. He's he's nothing. Like uh, I'm, I would never entertain the idea that he's um, nope anything. But the the other big thing that came from this game that I, I'm definitely interested was the Embiid quote after the game about the LeBron flagrant. So Embiid went up in the air, and LeBron basically pushed him in mm-hmm. midair, which was a complete cheap shot. And Embiid fell straight on his back, which he's been dealing with issues all season. And he was he was down for a little bit, and I think a couple couple people were scared for a minute that we weren't sure if that was one of those ones that ends up he goes to the locker room and doesn't return to the yeah, game. Yeah, that's what I was feeling, dude. Which definitely would have obviously with the way this game went, this is a loss if Embiid doesn't finish the game like a Absolutely. thousand percent. Oh, yeah. There's no way that that's not the case. You can't convince me otherwise. And Embiid came out after the game in in the post game interviews and basically said. You know, I think it was a cheap play, and I think if I did that, that I would have been ejected with a flagrant too. And, Steve, I got to ask, do you agree? Do you think that if MB does the same thing that LeBron James does there, that he does not get a flagrant one? He gets a flagrant two with an ejection. Without a doubt. I mean, it's just – and what was funny, MB picked up that foul not even 60 or 90 seconds later against LeBron, that right. quote-unquote flagrant. and. I mean, the NBA, we all know, is the worst league when it comes to these superstar calls or cars, you know, calls favoring. Yes, per- I, like, it's I agree just, with that. And listen, I, I know the officiating, there's probably part of it, you know, they like to, you know, uh, there's player safety we have to take into consideration, this and that. And this isn't the NBA of the 80s where you're punching people in the face to get to the rim, you know. Uh, but I just, my thing is like, okay, if you want to call a game that way, that's fine. But just be consistent, you know, like I like I don't give a shit about LeBron, like, you know, whatever, like, don't like, uh, you know, give him that call because he's LeBron. Like, I, I that's what really pisses me off. And I and I kind of feel like that maybe Embiid uh, read Twitter a little bit because like everyone was saying that, especially after that uh, flagrant that Embiid get, which was total horseshit. Yeah, it's definitely one like, of those. Like, come uh... on. Like, they got to call it on the other end to even it out. Yeah, and it's like, what? Like, no, you don't do that because that was a flagrant foul. Right, like yeah. That, You're only and, supposed to do that if the first one's a bad call and you realize yeah. it. And, and and people were like, well, LeBron didn't mean to do that. I don't give a shit. Like, Bullshit. That, that shouldn't matter. He how did it. How do you it. not mean to do it? Yeah. Like, I, <sighs> not only how do you not mean to do it, but how do you as a, as a, as a viewer determine that he didn't mean to? Yeah. Where do you get that from? You can't really be objective about that. You can't fucking tell me from watching the game you can determine someone's intentions. Yeah. Especially with something like pushing a guy in midair. It's not like he was running and chasing for a block and then accidentally their legs get tangled or something. Like he's standing there, he's about to get posterized. Yeah. And he and he literally is two hands shoving him in, in midair. It's a fucking dirty play. Yeah, LeBron and his uh, fucking awkward hairline can go fuck and right LeBron's off. LeBron's the only one who would get away with it. And I, not only do I think Embiid would have gotten, I think any player gets a flagrant two there except LeBron James. So, yeah. Fuck LeBron. The only thing that was missing was uh, Mike Scott dressed up in an oversized dad polo and going after LeBron. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think that's all he does nowadays, but <laughs> that is pretty much his mo right now, and that was a pretty awesome thing. And I mean, who was that? Like Josh Jackson or something? Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
that was pretty fucking funny. He was calling Ben Simmons a bitch. If you didn't see that, you can probably find it on yeah. Twitter. But so I want to move on to the the main topic here, which is Tobias Harris, Max player, All Star. Tobias Harris. Mm-hmm. We were right. We're right. We were so right that it it hurts. It's kind of hard to sleep at night sometimes, but we were absolutely right. So for this season, in 17 games, he's playing almost 34 minutes. He's averaging just shy of 20 points a game, 19.9 points per game. So we're going to say he's averaging 20 a game, shooting over 51% from the field, almost 47% from three. Over 81 from the line. He's averaging seven rebounds a game, three assists a game, only a little over two turnovers a game, basically a steal and a block per game. And his uh, plus-minus average is 8.6. It's insane. So now's probably the time to plug that today only, your all-star votes are double. Yes, I already placed my all-star vote for Tobias Harris today. Um, Bye, bye, bye! You definitely, yeah, you know, it, it's still not too late to buy Tobias Harris stock. It's, uh, no, it is not too late to get on the uh, the train, the Tobias train. That's, ignore the crash. That's the only sound they yeah. have on here. <laughs> this train will not crash. Uh, man, I, I'm going to use the soundboard forever. Yeah, it's incredible. It's going to be awful. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> Uh, and, and like I said, going back to the, the two-man lineup, so besides the Joel Embiid-Seth Curry lineup, the other the other top two lineups for the Sixers of their top three two-man pairings is Tobias and Seth and Tobias and Embiid. Um, both are over a plus 10 and plus minus. Um, Tobias with either Seth or Embiid. They... Uh, both shoot over 52% from the field. They both shoot over 44% from three. So the efficiency when those any any two of those three guys are on is is incredible. And I really think that, you know, we've been talking a lot about Doc Rivers and what he's getting credit for. I don't know what he did. I don't have the answer. But there's just something about, you know, what he's done to get Tobias Harris back on track. He looks like he doesn't hesitate anymore yeah he looks like he's making much better decisions i don't know if this is something to do with a a, a more comfortable offensive scheme i will say that it does seem like he's getting more three-point attempts in the in the corners which is something a lot of people talked about last season that being his favorite spot and it didn't seem like brett was getting him there it seemed like a lot of the times in last year's offense which i think uh stemmed from it being pretty just stagnant in general uh, and being mostly based on you know an Embiid post up and kick out kind of offense, I think there's a lot more motion and things happening when it's not an Embiid possession that are good for this team. Uh, I think there's a lot more Tobias creating, which is good to see. Work some pick and roll stuff in with both him and Seth, which we all know was a big kind of like stigma with Brett Brown. Didn't seem like they ever ran pick and roll. There's still not a ton of it, but there's definitely an uptick. And pick and roll, which you know, I think for most NBA players is something that they're used to and want to have. So I think yeah. it's a good addition to the offense. But I mean, I don't know, Steve. You know, what do you, what do you think is the biggest thing driving the resurgence of Tobias Harris? Is it is it Doc Rivers? Is it maybe just something on his own? I mean, what what can what do you see? I really think most of it probably has to do with Doc, and I know this is going to sound like a knock 
on like Doc or Tobias, but it's really not. But maybe Tobias is the equivalent of uh, a system quarterback. And people say, oh, well, he can't play for different coaches. Well, you're paying a dude $180 million. You figure out the best way to utilize that. Uh, I do see you know, definitely a dip down and people complaining about that contract ever since he started. And Doc just knows that the best way to use them. And it's kind of funny because thinking back on it, I did initially when there was news of hiring Doc Rivers, I'm like, all right, I mean, hopefully he can get him back to the uh, Clippers form that we always wanted, but it's going to be hard. And I did say that with the roster we had at the time, which included, you know, Al Horford and that whole other clusterfuck of a roster from last year. And then Maury makes his moves, and they definitely, a lot of times it feels like, you know, management and Brett weren't always on the same page. For sure. There's not that issue now. And I wonder if, hell, that could have been something that came up in the interview process. Doc was just like, I know how to get the most out of Tobias. And I think, because I don't really think Tobias was really any worse of a player to pass, you know, one and a half, two years. I just don't think they were really you know, getting they weren't really utilizing him as best as they could. Well, so. right. I, I think most people agree with that. And I think the biggest thing was it just looked like it wasn't even a, a uh, like a technique thing, but there was just some kind of like hitch in his decision making. Like something just wasn't processing. So uh, no pun intended. Yeah. But best way I can say is I think it has, it, there has to be something to do with offensive scheme and design. And I think we're seeing what what's weird about it to me, because I feel like this is the reverse way it should work, but – I guess it's just a matter of what you're comfortable with is I feel like docs has to be more complex. Sure. Yeah. But I still feel like it has to be a little bit more player friendly to all the players and to bring up a a process term optionality, (laughs) you know, just looking if we even just, you know, focusing on that, that last play that somebody's got the winner on, but seeing that, their offense is just flowing so much better. And so many guys are getting looks like Danny green gets a ton of good looks. Curry gets a ton of good looks. We've seen things that he's done with Ben, uh, you know, trying to get him with a full head of steam without the ball. So you'll see him kind of diving to the net, and then people are feeding him the ball rather than him having to dribble and create it right away. They're letting him build up momentum so he can attack the rim. We've seen instances of that, and it worked very well. Just some kind of little, you know, thing you can throw in there to get Ben Simmons involved in the offense because you're not going to run a bunch of things for him since he's not willing to shoot. Right. The, the optionality that this has, I think, is just you know making Tobias Harris more comfortable and maybe helping him realize when it's a good time for him to be aggressive, when it's a good time for him to take the shot, and when it's a good time for him to you know attack and kick out. And I think that's the case for a lot of these guys. I think just overall you're seeing much better decision-making from all of the players, not just Tobias Harris. Even Joel Embiid, I think... While I still think he has a decent ways to go as far as how he handles double teams and whatnot, you you are seeing growth as far as him knowing where people are. I think that the past few years you would see him kind of you know make some passes where he thought somebody would be there and he wasn't. I haven't really seen any instances of that so far this season. It seems like he has a good idea when that help defender comes where everybody should be and they are there. So those things not only do you enjoy seeing that? And that's how it should work. The fact that I think it's working so well, so quick 
only bodes well for the rest of the season. The same thing we're yeah. talking about Embiid's play and everything. I think they are so far further toward their peak now than I expected them to oh, be. Oh, sure. Yeah. That my expectations are now much greater because there's no reason to believe that they don't get better at it. Yeah. And th- that's uh, what's scary. Yeah. Scary in a good way. Right. And the thing with Tobias, and I think, you know, more of it has to do with Doc, but I think coupled with that too is he just almost just every game this year, he just looks so much more confident and just more zeroed in. Like he Who are we talking about? Tobias. Okay. Like he just looks like almost a different player. Like all the stats he quoted are are great and encouraging. I think, you know, maybe even more important, he just he looks like a different um, composure out there. And I think part of it is maybe, I don't want to hint that like Tobias and Brett maybe had some differences or issues or anything, but if you're playing in a scheme that you're just not comfortable with or, you know, you can't find your place in, it's really hard to just take over a game or, you know, take, take, you know, you don't want to take shots away from Embiid or Simmons at that point. And, but then, and, we didn't have the benefit of a real preseason uh, for this year, but now that I think about it, Tobias had the benefit of being familiar with Doc. So, right. that, you know, of any year to have that kind of, you know, little, even if it's minimal, I mean, it's still a big advantage. Yeah, that's my my biggest thing that I admit I haven't, like, gone and looked at yet, but I definitely plan to and want to, is I really want to go back and try to find footage of the offense of that prime to buy a season in LA and compare it to footage of the Sixers this season and really see how many of the same things they're doing. Cause I would bet you it's a lot. Oh, I would yeah. bet you this has to be a pretty similar offense. The only difference is going to be the fact that they had nothing like Joel Embiid. Yeah. And so that's the big thing. And that's what I think is, is ultimately what's going to put it over the top is that you can run that, that optional offense where a lot of guys are getting great looks, especially from three and you have the shooters for it. But the best thing is that when that's not there, you have the fail safe in Joel Embiid, which I think arguably right now you can say is the best fail safe in the NBA, Yeah, which is amazing. And and the only thing I had left about Tobias that is driving me absolutely fucking nuts is nothing against Tobias, but it just feels like every time I watch a national broadcast or read an article from some national writer, some sports talk, everyone loves to bring up those first two or three games that he didn't play well in. It just like, like this season? Yeah. Like I've heard that I had not heard that on the ESPN broadcast and like it was just driving me nuts. They're like, Yeah, Tobias has played mostly great, you know, for the entire season. I'm like those are like two or three games of a 72-game season. I, I get where you're coming from. The, it, only, the oh. only thing I would say is, I mean, obviously the narrative right now is he's, you know, on a, on a surge right. up. And to properly tell that narrative, you have to explain the bottom. But you're right. That bottom is not real. It's, it wasn't a long stretch of games. No. I, think, I think where it's getting lost is that you, have to, you would have to take into consideration that he was on that – slump from the end of last season too and that may not be being said but it's also like well because maybe they don't want to focus on last season but oh, you, yeah. can, you can say that that stretch continued in those first couple games so it is an elongated stretch but for this season like who fucking cares because yeah. it was really you know two to three games so you're not wrong i get it but i think you just have you know if you're going to tell the story if you're to say he just played good all season isn't as interesting as a story as he's really come from 
playing bad, but the annoying part is that playing bad was so yeah. so minimal. And we'll see, you know, how long he keeps this surge up. Hopefully, you know, this is a, a level that he can maintain. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just because now that Embiid's, you know, arguably the MVP this year, they, you know, no one has nothing, no ammo to uh, poke fun or criticize Embiid. And for whatever reason, rather than zero in on Ben Simmons, they take a break from that maybe and then just like, well, Tobias had had those stretch of games which well, wasn't even really a stretch right. of games. So like. that's a great point, and and you are going to start seeing that as long as they're successful, you're gonna people are going to have to start creating narratives and stretching narratives, mm-hmm. and 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 really and and most people don't want to just focus on one thing. So while I definitely think the 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 top of that list of things to attack right now for the Sixers would definitely be Ben Simmons, the only other one you're really probably going to find is Tobias Harris. And digging back to when he wasn't playing well, which, again, right now, who fucking cares? He's playing great. And the stretch that he's playing great for is far longer than the stretch he wasn't as far as this season. There still is the idea that, I mean, pretty much all of last season, he was not playing well. Yeah. So he still has a long way to go to, I think, wipe that completely away, which I can't say isn't fair. But, again, as people who have believed in him, I'm not concerned about it because – if you if you take that window, yes, the amount of time he's playing well now is not as long as the amount of time I I think you could argue that he was playing well below his expectations. But before that, when they acquired him, he had an entire year and a half that he was playing very well, and he had his entire career that he was getting better and better. And that's all anybody talked about when we got him, when we were hyping ourselves up about it. Was he was at the peak of his career? His whole career had been a trajectory up. He had been getting better and better, adding and adding. And then, you know, I don't think it's it's crazy to say, okay, then he really became like a complete full player. Then he started getting treated as such, which takes an adjustment period. He got put on a team with big expectations, which he had really never been on. Because even that Clippers team, I mean, he was in there after the Lob City team. So when he right, was on the yeah. Clippers, they weren't, you know, Western Conference final contenders. They weren't. Uh, NBA Finals contenders. He missed that. When he was in Detroit, they weren't contenders. When he was in Orlando, they were okay like bad or okay at best like this was the first time he was coming into a team that was really aspiring to win and I don't think it's it's unfair to say that you need to adjust to that because he played like seven or eight years without that so to, to say he didn't adjust to being focused on more to being needed more and to being in a not that you know, L.A. is is not a big market, but again, they didn't have the expectations. This is the first time he was in a big market with big expectations, mm. and the, and getting the max deal. These are all factors, and and again, yeah. like we've we've hammered the point that he's a great guy. You know, on and off the court, that he does all these things. These these guys are also human, and they're not all built the same. Maybe those things got to him, and if they did, it's fair. What's important is that he's getting past now because if they just continued to bother him, then it's a fair criticism. But if he's able to get past it, then I think you have to, you, you know, you accept that and you can be uh, unhappy that those things did detract from him for some time. That's fair. But at the same time, then you have to acknowledge that he got through it and now is is in his prime again and and be happy about it. Oh, that's music to my ears when he said he's part of a winning team and culture. Cause what did we hear for all those process oh, years? Christ, oh yeah. yeah. This was a losing culture, but, and listen, I know I'm overreacting to a three second statement by Doris Burke, but between that and saying, why doesn't Embiid keep going to the post? I, I, I just kept saying like, 
Shut the fuck up, Doris. Well, You're Doris out of Burke your is, element. Isn't Doris Burke the same one that I don't even know which one she's talking about, but called somebody Joelle Simmons? I think so. So yeah. I mean, you know, I'm 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 so out on Doris Burke, and it has nothing to do with her being a woman before that even becomes a thing. But I've been out on Doris Burke for a while. I really liked her for a while, and you know, congrats to her for for being one of the you know first women to really be like a full time like play by play in one of the four major men's sports. But like, yeah. I I just don't enjoy her now. I just and miss- I did. I yeah. don't now. Yeah, we we missed the the Molly Sullivans of the world and. Uh, Serena Winters. Serena Winters, yes. I almost said I always almost say Serena Williams, so I didn't make sure I, think, I get it right. Here's what I'll say about Doris Burke real quick. I feel like it's the ESPN thing that has that has really taken her. And if she wasn't with ESPN, she'd probably be really good. Oh, I agree. But yeah. the, the whole ESPN, and it's the same thing you're complaining about, the way they have to drive these narratives and the way they really seem yeah. to talk about things that are already – like they, they seem like they're a week behind on all the narratives. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that she has to play it because she is dialed in. I know she knows. But she's yeah. got to play the game of – the national network and the national media and all that stuff. So yeah, like Stephen A. wasn't anything like this when he wrote for the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. So right, you're definitely like, right about that. Yeah, like yeah, Stephen A.'s a whole oh god, but Stephen yeah, a I, whole other thing. <laughs> but all right, the the last thing I had before I want to get to a couple uh, before I want to play the stock market game with you, I've got built right. up here is just um, so I was I was playing with the lineup stuff today on NBA, obviously, which is why I'm pulling all these things. So. Um, I set a metric for so this is this is five man lineups, and again, like you know, using plus minus is just a way to rank them. But again, we know that's not like an end all be all indicator. But still, a five man lineup, if you know they're plus for a lot of the time, like that's how you're winning games. Like unfortunately, that's what it is. It doesn't mean yeah. you're the best or the worst, but it's a great indicator of how successful you are on the court. You're outscoring your opponents. That's the the the, the simplest way we can look at it here. So what I did was all I did was put a a filter on for the fact that they have to play more than twelve minutes a game together as a lineup, because that's a hmm. that's a that's a quarter. Yeah, that's if, fair. If you're not running a lineup out there for more than a quarter of the game, can you really judge it for being no. all that well? I think honestly, I should maybe should put it higher. But so there's a, there's a bunch of lineups in front of them, but then if you look at those lineups, those lineups have actually only played together in like one or two games. So then when you start looking at lines that have played, I could technically make the minimum four or more games, but let's say ten. The top two lineups that come up, there's one ahead of the Sixers starting five, and it's the Clippers starting five. So mm. Serge Ibaka, Nick Batum, Patrick Beverly, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard is the only lineup with four or more games played together that averages more than 12 minutes a game together. They play 13.9 minutes together. Over twelve, they've played twelve games together. Their plus minus total as a five man unit is seven point three. The next best one is the Sixers starting lineup. They're plus six point seven. They have played eleven games together, nineteen point eight minutes per game. So that's a, almost twenty yeah. minutes a game you're getting. That's starting five, and they're that good over a pretty big span. They shoot over fifty two percent from the field. They shoot over forty five percent from three. <sighs> it's it's kind of crazy, man. Yeah. It's a really good lineup. If you go down and try and pick out other ones, the Jazz starting five is just below them, and the Jazz are the have the best record in the NBA right now, so we know they're playing well. You have the Lakers starting five of LeBron, Gasol, AD, Schroeder, and KCP. They're only at 4.9. The Jazz one was at 5.5, so... 
the the Clippers and Sixers really like their starting lineups really kind of tower above everybody else, and then you can go on and you get Denver's, you get Sacramento's. Uh, I don't actually know if this is their starting lineup or not, but it's Barnes, Holmes, Heald, Fox, and uh, Bagley. I don't know if that's actually their starting lineup, but maybe it is. But I mean, no surprise. This is telling you that the starting lineups of the best the teams with the best records in the NBA yeah. are are the good ones, but. For the Sixers to be up there because it just backs up that that stat of like oh I think they're like eleven and zero when they play together. Right. I mean that thing says in the eleven games they've played together they play twenty minutes a game and they're arguably the the second best lineup in the NBA. Yeah, and I mean obviously that would have been different if they have played the Lakers or Lakers the Clippers this year, but you know yeah we'll I get mean there. probably. The, the Clippers also, like, you know, had to play a bunch of games without those guys, and, and they get managed pretty regularly. So that's why I think yeah. their, their minutes per game is definitely down. And we know that, like, Lou Williams plays probably just as many minutes as, like, a Pat Beverly does. So, I mean, we know the Sixers rely on, on that starting lineup a lot, but the fortunate thing is they're playing really well. And the acquisitions of, of Seth Curry and Danny Green obviously paying dividends. And, you know. I, it's fun. It's fun, man. It, it's really – and I, th- I feel like that's one of the reasons that, like, honestly, we haven't been doing as many episodes is I'm just enjoying rooting for the team and watching the team that I'm scared that when I get on the mic, I have to be too critical and I have to break things down and overanalyze. And, you know, I, I love talking about this team, but I also don't want to come on here and just, like, you know, jerk yeah. them all off or whatever. But the the end of the day, even the things we're trying to be rational about or critical about, like, at the, like right now, just enjoy this. It's just fun. It's just yeah. great to not really have to worry about anything. Like I said, I think the biggest concern for this team right now is Ben Simmons' play, which really isn't all that bad. Is it great? No. Is it awful? No. So I, yeah. I think we're there with that. But so going along with this mad money bullshit we're doing, <laughs> I have I have some buy sell questions for you, and we can take a little bit of time on each. But I don't want to you know go too far in these. Sure. I want it to be more just you know buy or sell, and and a little quick uh, rationale why. And I have a little bit of like you know detail as to what you're really buying and selling here so we're going to start off with ben simmons because i think he's the one guy that we didn't talk about too much this episode that does need some conversation but i wanted to save it for this buy or sell ben simmons in the nature of are you rolling with him for the rest of this season or do you think that he needs to be the piece that you move to get an upgrade in your starting lineup whether that's a zach levine or a bradley beal or something along those lines buy or sell ben simmons I'm going to say bye, and that's because bye 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 bye, not a bye 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 bye, but like bye bye Benson one bye, you know? okay. Uh, because I just I would love a Zach Levine or a Bradley Beal or, but I just and and yeah, their offensive production or output is far greater than Ben Simmons, but people just so easily glance over what he can do in a defensive end. And no, that shouldn't be the only thing he should be focused on. But I, I mean, I think you have to, you know, give him at least to the end of this season, uh, you know, before considering trade. I don't want, I, I think we've kind of said this before with the Harden deal, but if you, cause I think the trade deadline is like in the middle of March this year. Uh, so I think if you move him between now or March and to try to then work into Zach Levine uh, and you have one less ball hand, like I don't know if I doubt Zach Levine can handle the ball like Ben Simmons could. So I agree with you that I'm buying, but there's a couple of things in there that, that I take issue with one. I'm like, you're already kind of, 
you're saying you want to buy, but you're kind of hedging against it by saying, I think you have to give him the rest of this year, which makes it seem like you have him on a short leash already. And my thought would be that if you're at the point where you're that close to being okay with moving him, that I don't think that you should give him that much of a leash. If your thought is like he's on the tipping point, then I think you should want to be aggressive now and move him. Because there's part of me I just want to say, don't buy or sell, just leave it be. But I don't know if that's really an option. No, it's not. So that's why I, I kind of lead towards buy. So, but yeah. but I, get, I get where you're at. And the point I agree with is the defense because the defense has been very good. And here's the thing is, especially with the way Tobias is playing and you're getting the, yeah. you know, just the contributions from Danny Green and Seth Curry, not that they could really be like a third option per se. But if you can get, you know, the the MVP level of Embiid, the all-star level of Tobias Harris, and then you know you have consistent scores in Curry, Green, and even Shake off the bench. Not third options, but just consistent guys you know can get to double digits in a playoff game, Can should be able to consistently, you know, get you double digits. That Ben is still that guy too. While Ben's obviously not at the 17 or 18 we kind of got used to from him, you know, he's still good for 13, 15 a game. Yeah. And the difference is that while Levine or Beal are going to get you, you know, more like 25 in a playoff game, maybe 30, but probably 25 is pretty safe. You know, what are they going to give up on the other end? Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, when you look at this team, regardless of no one you're bringing in is even a two-way player. Like Bradley Beal and Zach Levine are not two-way players. They are scorers, and mm-hmm. that's what they are. Levine, you could convince me that he could handle the point guard stuff. He wouldn't be as good as Ben, but I do believe he could be the facilitator and you'd be okay. Uh, Beal's not that guy either. So Beal's yeah. a big problem on who is running the offense. Um, but neither of them are, are doing all the things Ben Simmons does. And that's not to say that, like, I think Bradley Beal is a better player. I do. But mm. I don't think that he is a better fit right now for what this team would need because. Right. He would still be the second scorer, and arguably, I mean, him and Tobias might might be pretty close with Tobias playing at his peak, and just the way he knows the system, how would Beal come in and adjust to all that, especially when he's not really his own creator, because he's not the facilitator or anything. Who who's your def- who's your defensive stopper on this team without yeah. Simmons? It's not Embiid. That's not his game. He's a rim protector. He's not exactly. the guy you're putting on yeah. the number one option. Danny Green's not that guy. Tobias isn't that guy. Like I trust everyone else on this team to play their positional defense fine, but Ben's the guy that makes that work because he's the guy that takes the matchup advantage the other team wants and completely takes it away yep. and lets everybody settle in on who they're comfortable defending because most guys only most teams only have that one guy that's a real legitimate mismatch. That's kind of how the league works. While you will say that the top contenders have, you know, two to three stars, they're not all mismatches. They're stars. Mm-hmm. And you can put somebody on them and and expect them to hang. Like let's look at a Milwaukee team. Giannis is the mismatch. Their next two best players are Middleton and Drew Holiday. I don't have any concerns about who's guarding Middleton or Holiday. I oh, don't no. think either of those guys are going to absolutely torch a guy on this team, like if Danny, I mean, maybe it's a bad example because Joel probably does take Giannis in that. Yeah. So maybe that's the outlier. But then that lets Ben Simmons absolutely squash Middleton. 
And if then Seth Curry has to play Drew Holiday or Danny Green has to defend Drew Holiday, I'm fine with that. I yeah. don't really care. And and, and even for stretches of, of the game when Embiid's not playing, then you can put Simmons on Giannis. Right. Like, so you know, Simmons. The optionality is there. Dwight, Tobias, and Simmons on, on Giannis, you know, like uh, like just varying or whatever. And obviously it's probably going to be two guys anyway um, that have to do it. Like, I'm fine with that. And if you look at, you know, Brooklyn, like Ben Simmons is – probably going to have to take James Harden. I'm fine with that because, well, I don't know. I mean, Brooklyn's a bad – these are all bad examples. Brooklyn, yeah. Brooklyn's the scary one. But, I, I mean, these are teams that we're likely going to face at some point in the playoffs. Right, so. and, and, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I'm going to be very interested to see a, a Brooklyn Sixers regular series matchup and see what Doc does with it. But either way, like, you like so even if you trade Ben, like, okay, obviously Ben doesn't solve the solution for Brooklyn because they have three players, but you're in a worse position without him. Oh, because yeah. any three of their big three are going to cook beyond. They're going to cook Levine. I at least trust Ben to, to hinder one of them. Yeah. And, and then you figure out the rest. Yeah. And I'll, and, and be uh, guarding Durant. I'll... No, I think I, that's probably my play. Yeah. If, if I'm doing it, that's honest. That's, that's the move is I'm doing Simmons on Harden. I'm doing Embiid on Durant. Like, and put a globe against Kyrie. Yeah. <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ! Never gets old for me. <laughs> Honestly, the the crazy thing being is that I've been one of the people talking down on him is I'm probably playing an an extended amount of Matisse and having him just harass Kyrie. Yeah, I mean he's gonna foul out in 15 minutes, but Kyrie's gonna get real pissed off for 15 minutes. Yeah, and maybe that maybe that 15 helps. minutes is a lot of time it, in a playoff it, game. It so. is. So you know, okay. So you're buying Ben Simmons. I'm buying Ben Simmons too. The next one is Danny Green. Is Danny Green doing enough right now to be our starting wing? Or do you think that that's a, a position that they need to upgrade? Whether that means you're moving Danny Green or whether that means somehow Danny Green is actually like a, a bench wing. This is tough because I've been a Danny Green fan for a long time. And obviously he is at the twilight of his career. But I think I want to say sell. Sell, sell, sell. But only because I mean that contract he has, it it might come down to he might be the piece that gets you someone who can be a third or fourth star or be a uh, another six man in the, in addition to Shake. Oh yeah, he's definitely the so, salary match guy. Which yeah, sucks, there's but... definitely there. But I also if they could somehow, I know people a lot of with these uh, trade scenarios they put together like a Mike Scott and. 10 other people to, to get someone that's on an expiring contract as well. I mean, if they're able to get someone, whether it's dealing picks or a Mike Scott or so, someone else on the team to get someone as a, they can start for Danny green and then Danny green could come off the bench. I think that would be the best case scenario, but I don't know if that's the most realistic option. Yeah, I think, <sighs> I think I want to. I think I'm fine with Danny Green being there. I just have the feeling that in the play, like even now, we're saying that he's definitely you know a step slow, and he doesn't have it. But I, I've been I've been finding instances in in all the games this whole season of where like he's smart enough to compensate for that, and he's also aware that he doesn't have it, and oh, he's yeah. savvy enough, and and still skilled enough to to adapt to that and play it well. And I just feel like those are the kinds of things in the playoffs specifically that actually become more valuable and look better because everything 
actually tends to slow down in the playoffs. You're in more half court sets. You're, right. you're you're in a lot of positions where you know it is more about the individual matchups and you know how you can hang with a guy and you can scheme a lot better because you're playing the same team over and over. I just feel like. I, like I think he's been fine in this regular season. I think he's probably actually been a little better than I expected because mm-hmm. my hopes were my expectations were actually a little low for him compared to most people. That I think that he's actually going to look a lot better in the playoffs than he does here. And I I just don't really. I mean, you're right that the salary match thing is is the toughest part because I think they're going to make a move. And it's hard figuring out what moves they make that don't include him. But the problem is, is I just don't see. I don't see him being in a deal where you're getting like you're probably making a lateral move at best. Right, that's yeah. kind of my concern. Yeah, is, I definitely go back and forth on that. But when we traded for him, you traded him for the playoffs, right? Like, you and know, that's no kind of where I'm. Yeah. At. See, I feel like the way you talked about Simmons, where it's like you have to at least see this year. Like that's kind of where I'd be with Danny Green. Is, is if I get to the Eastern Conference Finals or the Finals, and then I find out that Danny Green was is the weak link that that screws me, I think I'm okay with taking that loss and then you yeah. know, reevaluating it. Whereas if we get there without him, and then there's an issue, and you're kicking yourself for not having him there, it's gonna be so fucking annoying. Yeah, that it's like, man, this guy was on the last two title teams, and the Sixers dealt him before they even got there. You know. Like that's just gonna eat. That's it, true. Man. So yeah, I think I'm fine with it. Uh, I I wouldn't blame anybody for being on the sell side of it, but I think I'm still uh, buying on Danny Green. Bye bye bye. Next one we kind of just talked about a little bit is Matisse Thybul. Are you buying his defensive intensity this season being enough, despite the lack of offense, to earn legitimate minutes, especially in the playoffs? I'm gonna buy. Bye bye bye. Just because his his playmaking ability on the defensive end, I mean, teams that play the Sixers in the playoffs, they know that they're they're not going to expect anything from him on the offensive side. But I feel like in the playoffs to have that defensive specialist, I think that that'll be really important. And hey, maybe in a game where Danny Green is just he's in foul trouble or. Maybe he gets hurt and has to sit a game or two. Like, I think Matisse could kind of, I'm not saying replicate Danny Green's game by any means, but I think defensively he can, you know, um, there was a play last week with Matisse made, and I forgot who he was guarding, but, like, he just, like, smacked the ball out and then went for Was it Blake Griffin? I think it was Blake. Dude, he gave Blake Griffin fucking fits. Yeah. And that was really, that was, like, a big, that was a big eye-opener for me. Um, I've obviously been pretty critical of Matisse. Like I love the guy, yeah. But I just I think people have overhyped him because of how much they just like enjoy his personality and everything. Right. The last like ten games or so, I've been really impressed with what he's been giving us defensively. And I've said that it would it would take so much of a defensive level to offset the offense. But I actually think he's there right now. Mm-hmm. Like. Doc Rivers is really figuring out the right times to bring him in, and he's just being a fucking disruptor. And, like, he kind of, without having, like, the the chippiness or the, like, physicality so much of some of those guys you think of, like, a Pat Beverly, or if you go back to the days of, like, a Rashid Wallace or any any of those guys that you feel like would just get under the skin of somebody yes. and, and really get in their head, while he doesn't have that, like, 
mean dog in him, I don't think. Like, the energy is there and the peskiness is there. Like, Blake Griffin was getting fucking pissed at him. Yeah. He hated <laughs> that Matisse Stiebel was on him. And that is so valuable. And they don't, no one else is that way. Because Ben Simmons is better than him. But he really isn't. He really doesn't do that. Like Ben is a smart defender, and he'll jump right. lanes and he creates turnovers. But there's just, like Matisse will literally like like take the elbow to the face to just to, and draw the foul because he's so on your body and like breathing on your neck that you're like annoyed by it. And if he can really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like like harness that mm-hmm. and really buy into being that guy who who like it's, it's kind of like TJ like full court pressing I was guys. about to bring him up yeah, yeah 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 like if he can start doing those kinds of things and just pissing people off for real small spurts like I'm not saying I don't think he could play 15 to 20 minutes no but, you know when we talk about like oh guys go to eight man lineups nine man lineups like I think Matisse can just be that extra one that maybe isn't even included in that eight or nine but he's still getting in the game just to to that burst of energy, just to piss off somebody. Like I said with Brooklyn, like I would love ten minutes of him, even if he draws all six fucking fouls on Kyrie Irving. I just want yeah. him for ten minutes to piss Kyrie off and get him out of a rhythm. Like if Kyrie's cooking you, bring in Matisse and have him force Kyrie Irving to give up the ball, get yeah. him out of his rhythm. Whether that's just slapping the shit out of him, whether that's trying to take charges, whether that's reaching fouls when Kyrie's dancing around with the ball. Whatever it takes, just be a disruptor and, and do that. And I definitely think that Matisse seems to be leaning into that. And I think Doc is realizing that that's a really good role for him. Yeah, and, and not even to get under Kyrie's skin, but let, let's say it's uh, Ben and Matisse and let's either Harden and Durant or Kyrie and uh, Durant. Like I'm sure they'll develop some sort of two-man game, pick and roll, give and go or whatever. But if you have Simmons and Matisse on the receiving end of that and just switching off, I mean, who better than to you know than Matisse after Simmons, you know? Yeah, and there, and there are two best guys at fighting through screens. They're, they're two guys that aren't going to go under too often and surrender. Like, Brooklyn's a team that on pick and roll, you're never going to be able to go under. So, like, if you're going to need two guys who can fight over the top, those are yeah. the, the first two that you think of. And then I guess, like, Danny Green. But, again, we talked about him not really having the same explosiveness yeah. or athleticism that – he used to, so yeah. If you're talking about guys that need to be out there to fight over the top of screens and not just surrender shots off pick and roll and stuff, like those are definitely your best pairing to fight through that and switch off to multiple guys. So um, definitely a great point by you. The next one, buy, buy or sell Dwight Howard. Is he doing enough to be the backup center for a full playoff run? Yes. That bye, easy, bye, bye. That simple? Bye, bye, bye! Yeah. Have we bought everything so far? <sighs> I think, oh, I think so. You sold Danny. So. Oh yeah, I, it goes without saying. Like compared to our backup centers in years past, I mean, it's a it's tenfold his impact, and he's definitely going to have those games in the playoffs. I mean, you talk about Matisse fouling out because he's on Kyrie. Dwight Howard is definitely going to be fouling out. Yeah, uh, that's that's the only problem yeah, I think anybody that, can point. And to. sometimes he also he's just always seems so close to a technical too. So, yeah, but uh, you knew that coming in, and I was yeah. fine with that part. The thing that sc- the thing that scares me is I think he's great when he gets the backup Embiid, and obviously, if it comes to him having to start for Embiid, you're fucked anyway. Yeah, but it is kind of alarming how bad he's been <laughs> when he does have to start. Like I obviously didn't expect him to to do too much. 
Well, he's pretty bad when he's not backing up Embiid. Yeah, and I think uh, the one game Embiid was out, they had, did they have Poirier start over him? Just because they said Howard's just much better. I don't know. I don't that was probably know. the one Pistons game I didn't watch that happen. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but if he can be a guy that just comes off the bench, just get you rebounds and protecting the rim, like, I mean, that's all I really expected from Dwight anyway, so... I'm okay with that in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm fine with it too. I I do think that maybe, you know, you could explore the market and maybe you bring in another one just because, one, if anything happens to him, Poirier's not enough. No. um, Or Tony Bradley's not enough. So it wouldn't hurt to have another vet um, and maybe even just, you know, kind of put some pressure on Dwight to to hold that role because right now he's got to be pretty comfortable knowing it doesn't take much. Not that I think that matters. I don't think he's been, you know, dogging it or anything. I, yeah. I think he's played really well. But um, th- there is definitely some concern about him being able to stay on the court. And, you know, it, it might not hurt to have somebody who you do feel better about in the few in the few chances to start for Embiid and keep Dwight in that role so that he doesn't feel like he has to step outside of that role at any point that I do believe he's been playing well and so that that's another great point by you. Yeah, if there's one there. thing I, I I a decision I came to a long time ago it's that we're never going to be able to find the perfect backup to Embiid. Right. Like you're, there's always whoever the backup is there's going to be some drawbacks but I mean if especially if we get someone who whose game is definitely towards a more offensive end. So if you need, you know, just even if it's five minutes offensively from a big guy when Embiid's sitting, I mean, that's that's not a you know, bad idea. And you know who'd be a great backup for Joel Embiid? Nikola Jokic. Because mm. he's definitely not as good as Embiid. Oh, no, no, But no, he's no. pretty good. Yeah. He could back him up. He might be good enough. Might be. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so while we're talking about, I mean, basically this whole thing kind of comes down to what we think the Sixers, if anything, are going to need to upgrade. The uh, the last one player-wise in that category for me is buy or sell Shake Milton. Is Shake Milton good enough to be your sixth man, or is this the, the priority upgrade spot for the Sixers, is to get a better, pure scoring option for bench units? I'm going to say, I'm going to buy. Buy, buy, buy! The, it did concern me with last season how he just had that streak of games where he was just incredible, and then come playoffs, it was just, you know, ugh. But then again, like, last year was a clusterfuck from the start, and I think with a lot of things, you can't, it wouldn't be fair to compare it to, at, you know, compare this team to now. And Jake Milton's a, to compare this team to now. I'm sorry, this team from last year. Just with all the, it, it's a completely different team, different well, coat. Well, or, the one thing about the the shape performances, where I mean, the the games he went off were the ones where like pretty much everybody was out and he was the guy. Yeah. So, so that's why part of me wants to kind of bring that up, but it would be unfair to. Whereas this season, I mean, he's been pretty good, pretty much the entire season. I mean. I, I'm pretty confident in Shake, and it, now I think it would be nice to get another six-man guy. I don't know if that's possible. Uh, you know, in case I'm not saying to get uh, to do that for Shake Milton insurance in case he has a bad run of games or anything, but I it, it'd, it'd be a luxury, and it would be a nice luxury to have. Yeah, I think I think he's definitely done enough. He doesn't really have anything that stands out. As a clunker, but I will say, as of late, uh, I, I mean, I think he's definitely cooled off. Uh, in his last five, 
he only has two games in double digits, and it's 13 and 10. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, he had a stretch uh, right before that of 24, 31, 28. So, you know, the the last five games being maybe some recency bias, I'm I'm a little bit concerned here. Uh, I think the question you posed is is the best one. Can you do much better as far as a sixth man who's going to be available that can fill that role? And I, I don't have an answer to that right now. And the thing is, is that we've talked about this with Shake for a, a while now. I mean, Shake has to be a big part of this team's future. He's a big part of the, of the the current as well, but he's a big part of the future, being that his contract is absolutely yeah. a steal for this team. Skills. So the thing is, is that even if he wasn't doing an, enough, are you willing to relegate him and not continue his growth for the short term benefit? And I'm not sure that the franchise is there nor am i there yeah. so it's one of those things where it's kind of like i said with danny green if that ends up becoming you know the the issue that costs us am i okay with accepting it i think i am i think yeah. if you're like yeah you know uh the the main reason we didn't win the series is shake milton didn't do enough off the bench i think you know for what i've seen of him and, and for what he's pretty much done consistently since really being given that opportunity, I think I'd say, all right, well, you know, maybe he'll learn from it and next year that won't be the problem. Whereas if you bring in somebody now who, especially in a six-man role, you're probably going to need somebody on an expiring contract. You know, unless you do win it all the next season, they, you know, it, it would be like an Alec Burke situation where, like, they yeah. probably, you know, the, the best case is they play really well, but you probably still don't get there, and then they – get a better deal and leave and you have the same problem again or you bring them in and it doesn't work out but you also took shake out of that role and it's kind of just a big clusterfuck and it's not all that great so yeah. i mean it's hard to judge all these things when the sixes really seem like they're they're kind of peaking right now because yeah. i think we do have a little bit of a you don't you know don't if it's not broke don't fix it mentality exactly. right now yeah and i'm sure that if they were on a two-game losing streak our answers might be a little different again you know recency bias kind of thing but that that's kind of the the point i think we've been making the whole episode is just enjoy it like you know we're trying to be realistic about it like is shake do i think shake Mills the best six man in the nba no uh do i think he's one of the top four that would be in the playoffs no i don't think that either but i i mean is it, he's a good sixth man yeah, and some teams don't even have that. So to to expect that you're going to be able to upgrade it or find another, I think is, is pretty tough. And if they do so, great. And again, I like you said, I don't think it would be bad to just have and not like you, you can't really have enough scoring. Like we we brought in both Glenn Robinson the third and Alec Burks last year to to try and do that. Yeah. So this year, you know, maybe you only need to find one of those guys instead of two. That should hopefully be easier. And those guys ended up costing a lot less than we thought. A couple second round picks. Yeah. Like, um, the Sixers still have plenty of, of assets and capital that they could they can make a move as simple as that to find, you know, an expiring contract scorer that you maybe uh, same thing I talked about with Dwight. Uh, you just have an extra in case of injury or anything, somebody that that you know pushes Shake because right now again Shake's got to feel pretty comfortable. That I mean, I guess except for Maxi, maybe nobody's really challenging him for being a primary bench scorer. And with Maxi being like a rookie and really raw, I, I think that that gap is uh, probably a lot further than. Uh, some people may think so. I don't yeah. think I don't think he's in any danger, or anything. So, all right, we're both buying Shake Milton. Next question should be the rest of these should probably be pretty quick. I don't think there is much discussion points. It's just answers, but you can still elaborate. Buy or sell the Sixers being able to maintain 
being the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. They are currently one and a half in front of Brooklyn and two games ahead of Milwaukee. Buying up all the stocks, baby. Let's go. Bye, bye, really? Bye. Yep. All right, we definitely disagree. I'm feeling here. good. Why, why? Why do you think so? Well, recency bias. I'm feeling good, okay. and uh, fair. It's just, I mean, that Lakers win. Like that's just going to be no matter how the season ends. That's going to be one of, if not the biggest game of the year. That's just going to turn a lot of heads. So you're on number one in the East train. Yep. All aboard! Wow. Uh, I am selling this big sell, time. Sell, sell, sell. <laughs> uh, it. You know it. You talked about still having that, you know, sometimes we still have that mentality of we never win this game. This feels like that theory to me, but over a season. We can't have nice things that last too long. That's true. And something's bound to go wrong. And Bede's going to miss a stretch, or or maybe even Ben is going to need a stretch. Maybe something's nagging him that comes up. Someone gets fucking COVID. Uh, Tobias regresses a little bit. Maybe he gets mad he doesn't get an all-star appearance. Uh, COVID is the ultimate wild card for anybody, but certainly yeah. we've already been hit with it a little bit, so it, it, it's tough. I feel like Milwaukee and Brooklyn are both better equipped to miss any of their like big three than we are. I think That's true. missing yeah. any of Tobias, Ben, or Embiid throws us in a much tougher predicament than Milwaukee missing either any of theirs. Uh, Brooklyn, obviously, I think can be very good without any of their three. Milwaukee, if it's Giannis, it's a different conversation. It will still be, they're still going to be very good, but Giannis is obviously a different story than either of the other two. But I think they could easily survive a stretch without Middleton or without Drew. Um, Not that they'll be as good, obviously, but they they could definitely get. I don't even know who the hell they have on their bench. Uh, On their bench, uh, that's a tougher question. But their starting five is very good. Yes. So, um, you know, I, th- I think the Sixers would definitely struggle there. And, you know, it just seems like probability that, that one of those three is going to miss something. If they don't, then absolutely, I buy. But I just can't I can't believe it because of the past. But if we're going recency uh, bias, sure, I get it. But, but, but listen, I, I know who I am at the end of the day, and I'll probably be where you're at in the next week or two. Like, yeah, I, I assume know. in like two or three hours. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, all right. So uh, I love the optimism. I really do. As a pessimist, I love the optimism. (laughs) Buy or sell? Are the Jazz the biggest threat in the West? They currently are the number one seed in the West. They have the best record in the NBA. If not, who is? One, no. I'm not buying into the Jazz. Sell, sell, sell. And, I mean, this is the easy answer. It's it's definitely either the the Lakers or Clippers, I think. All right, we'll pick one. You got to pick one. I'm gonna. See, I'm just gonna go with the Lakers. Fair. Yeah. So uh, I definitely agree. Sell, sell, it's, sell. It's not the Jazz, but they are playing really good, um, and they're actually fun to watch. I hate to admit it. No one outside of Utah seems to be aware of this, but they are very good and <laughs> yeah. very fun to watch. I mean, what what else is good in Utah besides right. the Jazz? So I mean, I I, well, I, don't I mean, even them. the Jazz aren't actually good. Nothing's good in Utah, but they're playing no. well. They're playing well. That's what we'll say. But right, I mean, I I have been on the the Lakers getting back this whole season. But when I was doing those lineup notes, I was really surprised to find that that Lakers starting or the Clippers starting five, sorry, was that good. Because I know Kawhi and Paul George are that good, but like Batum, Beverly, and yeah. Ibaka don't doesn't didn't seem like that impressive of a of a combo. Like I expected the team to be good 
because they have Lou Williams uh, coming off the bench still, and they have some depth. But that starting five playing that well together is surprising to me. And that makes it interesting because while I still think that AD and LeBron are better as a pair than Paul George and Kawhi, I don't think that the other Lakers players are nearly as good as all those other Clippers players I mentioned. Like the Clippers top six should absolutely shit on the Lakers top six. In theory, yeah. So it ultimately really comes down to can A D and LeBron, you know, overcome that and they did last year. I'm I'm not so sure they do it again. I think honestly, even last year that seemed like a, a bit of an anomaly. And I think with how well it looks like that the, that Clippers starting five is playing together, plus having Lou Williams off the bench, it, it really seems to me like the Clippers are probably the team. And if you told me I had to put money right now on what the finals matchup is, I, I, I might say Clippers-Sixers. Okay. See, I am not a bet- betting man, so that's the difference between us. Yeah. But I also like – Well, I'm I see that as a, betting on it. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's also – it's like – that's why I said either Lakers or Clippers because yeah. they can go either way. For so. sure, Abs- absolutely. Yeah. There's, the Jazz are not even you know in the top two. And honestly, I'd probably – before the season, I would have put the Nuggets ahead of the Jazz. Right now, they're very close. And actually, I probably would give the Jazz the edge just because like they their starting lineup is that good. Yeah. Like, all five of them. And they have um, Ingles off the bench. So they have like a six-man lineup just like – the Clippers do. That is very, very good. Um, the Nuggets are so top-heavy with Murray and Jokic, but um, Jokic seems to play pretty well against Gobert. Yeah. Uh, so that might be the, the thing that, that still tips the scales for the Nuggets, but the, the the Jazz are deep, man, and Conley has really come back. Like, I hated that deal for them. And I still kind of hate the deal, but, like, I expected Conley to go there and just kind of die, and he has really come back after, you know, kind of, kicking kicking the tires a little bit and when he got there he he has kind of returned the form the contract is still a fucking albatross but he's playing pretty well so i get i give him credit i always did like him but i thought he was done man so good for him uh buy or sell joel Embiid, league mvp end of the year not right now end of the year i'm gonna sell oh sell 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 just because i the league hates the Sixers. I just feel like somehow that election's going to get rigged. And, you know. That's not what I thought ooh would sound like. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> this sort of works. There you go. That's better. So I just, I don't think he's really barring an injury or anything out of the ordinary, which is, although out of the ordinary has kind of become ordinary for this organization. I, you know, I think there'll be some bullshit, you know, reason why he doesn't get it like that's that's really the only reason the reason i dis that last statement would almost always be the case and the reason that i'm going to actually go ahead and buy 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 is one there's been a few games already where it seemed like for the whole day that it was going to be one of those easy he's going to sit this one out and he's not only is he pushing the play but they're letting him play now yeah where in the past we would hear you know, stories about him pushing to play and them not letting him. Clearly, it seems like they're being, they are willing to risk it a little bit more. And I think that that has to do with their confidence in his regimen, in his diet, in his training, in, in the way that his body is right now. And while he's definitely going to have all these nagging things like the back issue he's playing through right now, which LeBron obviously didn't fucking help, mm-hmm. but it, it seems like 
he's just able to manage these things better. It seems like he is on the war path to to get past having to miss all these games, but they're still finding the time to get him sitting. He's he hasn't played too many games in a row. We know he took off Monday, so while they're giving into the stubbornness a little bit, he's still going to get his rest. But we also saw last night, you know, he was able to have a monster game in what like 25 26 minutes. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing that I've been saying, you know, I'm not a professional athlete, obviously, not even fucking close. But <laughs> I feel like it would be much easier for the most part, there's still going to be nights where you're going to want to give him the full rest so he can have a, a longer stretch of complete days like off. But I still feel like rather than completely missing a larger amount of games, I would love to see more games where you just trim the minutes down to like yeah. a 20 to 25 minutes. So he's still out there. He still gets the run. He still gets the conditioning. You keep his, you know, we talked about like in shape and then game shape. You know, even getting out there for 20 minutes or so, I'm sure it would keep your game shape up where it is rather than such a guy that big and everything. Yeah, I feel like a, a stretch point. of four to five days off could actually be really bad and kind of puts you at bigger risk as you get back into it that first game back. Whereas the more times you can just say, hey, listen, Joel, we know you're not feeling great tonight. You know, we're going to we're going to trim down the minutes, which is a tough spot because once the game starts playing and you're in it and you want to win it. You know, you you don't want to do those limitations anymore. But when they're this good, you'd like to think that some of these games against lesser teams that you can get 20, 25 out of him and have him do enough to put you in a position to win. And the more of those you can get, the better. Because he plays more, he gets the counting stats more. All these things matter for the MVP discussion because we know that, you know, in a seven, let's say they play 72 games, that if he plays 60, you're going to hear, oh, well, LeBron played 68 and Joel played 60 and... The best ability is availability. I, I think that you're going to find that he gets a lot closer to 72 than any of us would have expected. And the way he's playing, if he if he gets close enough, there's no way he's not going to have the stats that absolutely show that he deserves it. Not only is he an elite defensive player, but right now in under 32 a game, he's fourth in the league in scoring at over 28 a game. He's doing it shooting f- over 54% from the field, over 40% from three, yes. and he's the best player in the league now at getting to the line. And he shoots 84 fucking percent when he gets there. It's absolutely insane. He's over 11 in rebounds. His turnovers are, are are just at three, which I'm fine with. And he's over a steal and over a block per game. He's he's insane. You right can't now. You, you can't ask him this to do is, anything. This is the MVP, yeah. and I actually I'm buying that I think he can okay. do it. And I'm trying to eliminate eliminate all homerism from it, which it's still going to be in there. Sure. But but I I really I'm. Basically, what I'm buying is I'm buying that he's not gonna he's gonna hit the number of games played to where that argument doesn't hold up. You'll hear it, sure. You'll hear it, but I don't think it'll be enough to take it away from him. That it, that's what I'm betting on. The only other thing I would add is I hope because uh, they still didn't schedule the rest of the season, right? Right. So I kind of hope we see more back to backs against the same team, just because, dude, the, when he played in Detroit versus you know the. Uh, Two nights later, when they played again without him, the drop off is just so incredible, and I th- I think that's something that's not talked about as much. What does that have to do with them playing more back to backs? Well, no, no, back to like playing the same team twice in a row, uh-huh. like not necessarily back to back nights, right? But just when he didn't play that second game, like the Sixers fucking lost that game. I, I and Embiid was just, I think. 
the you know when a player like that isn't on a team and they're just so much worse without him, I think that speaks to how great of a player he is. I'm I'm so confused what this has to do with the schedule. Oh no, because I, I don't know if they have any more games like that, or if they will. But you're saying you want more of those. Yeah, because I, I. Why? Well, I'm just saying because the if he if there's more of those games and. Let's say he ends up only playing one of two, uh-huh. and then if they keep—I uh, mean, not that I hope—but if we keep seeing during those stretches where you're playing literally the same team one or two nights later, and he's not on the floor, and the team loses, and just a drop off in production just is so oh, much worse. So you're saying it's going to evidence? How, yes. What, okay, I get it. That's yeah. what I, I wasn't. I probably didn't do the best job of explaining my. my so point, you're saying but, the more that they do that, the more it's going to create. The idea of him as the MVP because you're going to see the drop off of with him yes. without him. Okay, I get it. I and, and you know, it's it's an individual award, not a team award. So I think I think that would speak volumes. Well, it isn't. It isn't. You don't see the MVP you too often on a team that doesn't make the playoffs. So we're not going to have that issue with this team. They're yes. not going to be out of that's the fair. Race, yep. So yeah, you're right there. All right, the la- the last one I have for buy sell. Do you buy Tobias Harris making the All Star game? I buy it. Bye 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 bye. I want him to. I think he deserves it. I don't think that he's going to get the votes because I don't think anybody outside of Philadelphia is going to appreciate what he's doing. Yeah, that's Because we're all in on the redemption arc. But when you look at if, – if the average person just looks at his stats and sees, you know, 20 points a game, seven rebounds, three assists, it's like he's a good player. Is he an all-star? Because, like, guys that are putting up numbers that are on bad teams are going to get in. You're going to get Zach Levine. You're going to get Brad yeah. Beal. You're, you're going to get, you know, two two or three guys from Boston. You're going to get all three guys from Brooklyn now. Like, you realize Harden just came over and took a spot from the East That's now. true. Yeah, I didn't even think of you're, that You're shit. probably going to get Jeremy Grant. Yeah. Um, it, It's going to be tough. You're probably going to get Sabonis from Indy. Like I, I just don't think there's. Enough. I honestly think that Embiid's the only one that makes it for the Sixers. I don't think Ben gets in. That's even. probably the most realistic. Yeah. I think Embiid's the only one, and it sucks. Yeah, it really sucks because Tobias Harris is playing really well. But if you're going to put up his his box scores against people, I I don't think you're going to get yeah. it because there's too many guys that are the number one options on their bad teams putting up more counting stats, not stats when it matters. Right. So it's unfortunate, but I don't think he gets there. Yeah. Uh, two. These aren't buy or sell questions. These are, these are just two quick hit questions I had, and we'll get out of here. I saw this on Twitter, and it really kind of pissed me off. I don't even know if I can bring myself to answer. And if and if you can't, you know what? Join me. But I'm gonna ask you and see if you have it. Steve, what's this team's record if Brett Brown's still the coach? Ooh. I I fucking hate it. I'm going to sell, sell, sell that question. <laughs> I'd like. Is, is it is it worse than fourteen and six? I I think it's a it's probably a little worse, but not that much worse. And if if the constructed if the roster constructed as of now, I think Brett Brown definitely has a chance to succeed. But uh, I don't know. I think this question. The way I, yeah, I who the fuck asked that question? I forget. I, I just I just saw it on Twitter. Fair enough. <laughs> I um actually I think I saw it in that bullshit Sixers Facebook group. So that's how you know it's uh, bad. Yeah. But the, 
I think this question comes down to how much you believe Doc Rivers has been the reason for improvement for Tobias Harris. And that's why I think the answer is that they're worse because I think Doc Rivers is definitely the reason for the jump for Tobias. Not the only reason, but a, a huge reason. Yeah. I think you probably could easily call it like 50% Doc and 50% Tobias because I'm sure Tobias worked to, to get back the form. But I think Doc Rivers is putting him in the position. So I think if you weren't getting this level from Tobias, they're significantly worse because he is a big reason that you are 14 and 6. So Brett's probably, honestly, you know, 11 and 9. Yeah. Maybe 10 and 10. Like, I think you can easily give Doc Rivers like four wins that Brett wouldn't have. Easily. Yeah. Uh, especially the Lakers one. Again, like we talked about, I, I think I don't think you can give Doc credit for a 13-0 run that loses the lead, but I think you can yeah. give Doc a lot of credit for a great, you know, inbound play to win it, and you know the team even being good enough to hang with that Lakers team in the first place, um, and and have the lead they did. The biggest thing I was talking about this on Twitter too with a uh, with a uh, with a uh, Kiana, uh, the real mama eagle. Okay. She pointed out in the uh, – I forget if it was last night's game or, or the Lakers game, but she was just saying how, you know, like we're killing it in the third quarter. And I was like, yeah, like it really does seem like the third quarter thing. was always like, – people, people forget that like they were always losing the third quarter, and it does seem like this team has become a very good third quarter team, which I think is another thing that you have to credit the coaching because mm-hmm. I think you go in the locker room at halftime and you make adjustments. And that was one of the biggest things we always gave Brett shit for was it seemed like he had a great idea coming out into a game – a great idea of how to play against another team on both ends of the court, but he never adjusted at halftime. Nope. And if teams yeah. changed something, it seemed like that was just the 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 you know the kill shot for us. It's change anything about what you're doing, and the Sixers can't figure out how to adapt to it in real time. And that's one thing I think you have to give Doc Rivers a lot of credit for is I think that you know this team is coming out in the third quarter and and adjusting their game plan. Whether it's to another team's adjustment or not, like it could be you're adjusting your game plan just to throw something else at them, or you're adjusting to compensate for what another team has done. I think he's done both, and I think he's done both well. And I think that's the value of a, a veteran winning coach with playoff and championship experience. Yeah. Last question. I, I, I came up with this one. I think this one is, is really interesting. Sixers are 10 and 1 at home, and there's no fans. Yeah. They they continue to be the best home team in the NBA even now through quarantine. What is it, man? Why are they so good at home? Because now, you know, small sample size, but you take the fans out of it, and it's still the case. So, not that I'm saying the fans don't matter because they surely do, but they're still very good here without them. Is that just a product of their a good team, or is there something about you know playing at home that really matters to this team? I I think it's just probably as simple as you know because they're not going to the stadium in a bus or an airplane and, you know, they have the uh, chance to come, go from their house to the stadium and back, like probably just little things like that maybe add up and they're maybe just a little extra prepared or well-rested because of that. So that's the only thing I could think of. I don't know how much of that really matters at the same time. No, I think that's a great point. I mean, obviously, I mean, most teams are, are better at home. We know that this isn't some anomaly, but yeah. The thing I will say that I think is always especially important for the Sixers being at home is Joel Embiid. I think it's a lot better for Joel Embiid to be have his routine here, to not be in hotel rooms and be traveling and, and maybe not having all of the things he's accustomed to being able to as far as routine, and especially now that we've talked 
at length about his diet and, and a better regiment just in his like day-to-day life. I think those things are probably always easier at home than they are on the road. We always yeah. see the videos about when they go on the road, they're, you know, they're grabbing all this fast food and everything, which I'm sure, you know, as two gluttons, we know that, you know, it's a lot easier to stick to your meal prep and your diet and stuff when you're just going through your routine. But even when you're trying to be the best at that you can, yeah. if you go anywhere, you go somewhere for the day, you go on a weekend trip, you go on a week trip, like that shit's out the window. Dude, yeah, or like when we went to Dallas for a bachelor party and that one dickhead bought asparagus because he didn't have enough vegetables. Whole, whole oh, whole story. Yeah. yeah but, but, yes. Because of that, I exactly know what you're talking about. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure there's just something, you know, obviously for any team, I'm sure there's something to just being able to go through your routine in, in the comfort of your own confines. But it, it is crazy that they're that good at home without, you know, what we know as a very loud, rowdy, and antagonizing Philadelphia <laughs> crowd that we we sure know definitely does still give them an advantage uh, when, when they are and, and hopefully at some point will be safely allowed to return. Uh, which I hope still isn't anytime soon for the sake of safety, yeah. but uh, who knows? I'm, you know, they, I'm sure they want money, but again, a whole other conversation. But uh, Steve, anything else before we go? Uh, we we went way longer yeah. here than I thought, but we had a, this is a really great discussion. I'll, I'll be quick. Two quick things. One, rest in peace, John Cheney. Oh yeah. Uh, in a city that has way too many statues, they should cr- also create a statue of him almost punching John Calipari in the face yeah. in front of the Leah Coeur Center. Like, <laughs> that man deserves a statue. And and two, it just bears repeating, votes are double today. And yes, if you do go in your private browser on your iPhone, you can vote again if you use a uh, different email, you, uh, you know, use your spouses or family members, you know, use their information, harass uh, your family. Yeah. Harass your family. And if there is one, uh, election to rig, it's this one, because <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, whether you want to admit it or not, being the top vote getter in the all-star game, like that comes up in the discussion for MVP. So. Great point. Oh, I thought you were going with a Tobias agenda here. Now you're going for the Embiid agenda. That, that too, yes. No, that's a great point. Yeah, that that is a very good reason to go out and like Embiid's going to get in, but being being a top vote getter will definitely not yeah. hurt the, the MVP conversation. That's good work by you. I like that one. All right, yeah. So make sure you get out there and get those votes in. Uh, appreciate everybody for listening. We. We'll keep at this, but we do have something new, hopefully, uh, in, in the works and everything, so stay tuned for that. Uh, we are also looking for contributors and sponsors, so if you know anybody who might be interested in uh, in talking some just sports in general, if you know any small businesses that might be interested in getting in contact with us for sponsorship opportunities, we would very much appreciate uh, anything and everything you can send our way for that. Make sure that you're following us on all these social media networks. Make sure you're checking out everything from Last Out Media, uh, which you know we contribute for as well, and we are a part of that family. So uh, shout out to them. For Steve, I'm Dan. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and trust the podcast. Thank you.